what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, so we're trying to find Sylvester Stallone here. Funnily enough, not the very first time in my career that I've ever tried to track down Mr. Stallone. Didn't go very well the first time. (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. If this is in fact your first time checking out the show, then welcome and thank you. Today is the start of a brand new story, but we have eight previous fascinating cases for you to binge right now. So one of the many questions I get about OMR is, how do I find the stories that we talk about? Well, it differs from person to person. Sometimes I'm approached by the family members of incarcerated individuals. People will read about someone and send me their stories, or someone I've already spoken with will suggest a person they're incarcerated with has a story worth telling. And that's how I got to hear about the story of Karen Yule. My hope it's not early there. No, no, what's the time? The time here at the moment is five to six in the morning, so that's not, not too bad. I usually get up around about uh, 4.30, quarter to five, so we're all good. So, so I have a uh, a show um, where I talk to men and women um, who are incarcerated in the United States. Karen um, is incarcerated in Florida, in the same institution as a number of the women we've already heard from in the show. In fact, Doris Moore first told me about Karen many months ago. Her and Karen have become close while being incarcerated together, and Doris had mentioned that Karen had a fascinating story. And, well, she wasn't wrong. My name is Karen, and I am currently serving a 25-year mandatory sentence to life with 22 years on top. I was convicted of premeditated first-degree murder and attempted first-degree murder for the death of my then-husband. Karen's story, much like Doris's and Amelia's, has been covered multiple times on different shows. Shows that Karen says have never reached out to her for comment. I mean, because if you ever watch the show, I'm never interviewed in the whole show. It's just what they picked up from, again, it's all media. 
yeah. media's perspective, media, the newspapers. It's never the truth of what happened really behind the scenes. It's not. Not even close. So as always, with the show that I create, this is a platform for Karen to tell her story. Usually, before I conduct an interview, I will have spoken with the person a few times via the prison's email system. We usually have a little back and forth and then arrange a time to start our chats. Well, with Karen, it was a little different as I was woken up early one morning by a phone call. Now, again, nothing unusual with this, as the job that I do now has me getting random calls from time to time from men and women who are incarcerated. However, the morning Karen first called, we'd had a blackout at home, and I couldn't get Prison Pod HQ fired up. Nonetheless, Karen was ready to start sharing her story, so we adapt. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because for parts of our chat in this episode, you will hear Karen on loudspeaker as I frantically juggled two phones in which to record. Not exactly the Hollywood-style production that Karen was used to. I was actually in Lethal Weapon 3. I was in Passenger 57. Um, I did one segment of Swamp Thing, My Girl, Again, all of these are just as extras. This is when I was just breaking into the industry. Yeah. So that's just how it goes in the in the movie industry that you just you try to make it by getting little parts here and there and just trying to pay your bills. Yeah, of course. At the time. But more on that very soon. It's February twentieth, nineteen ninety four, Sunday night. A man by the name of John Newell would be shot multiple times on the side of a highway in the middle of nowhere between Cocoa Beach and Orlando, Florida. A woman would be seen frantically waving down passing traffic, screaming that her husband had been shot. That woman was Karen Newell. A sheriff's deputy arrived on scene, but sadly Mr Newell had already succumbed to his injuries. Karen would tell detectives her husband was the victim of a carjacking gone wrong, but would later be arrested and convicted for what police would say was an orchestrated killing. I'm originally from Florida. I grew up in Florida, um, fifth generation actually, my family is. And I, was, I had been a model slash actress and also, in my primary job was um, nursing, so modeling and, and doing actressing work was like a sideline I did like for extra money. That became very popular because I went into a lot of beauty pageants and placed very highly, either won the pageant or was first runner-up or in that type of situation, so it, it helped project me into more acting and commercials came from those issues. I come from a family of five. I have three other sisters. I had a brother who has now since uh, passed away. And I, I went to Barbizon, the school of modeling when I was 13. And I pretty much just participated in any and every kind of ad that would come along from, I worked for Jess 
just a um, modeling agency at that time. And I would do like print ads, I would do uh, TV ads, commercials, whether it be print or on TV itself. So that's how I got into it was just going to Barbizon School of Modeling is what projected me into that industry. Went to the um, Orange Bowl parade, became a part of the, what do you call it, the court, the Queen's Court, and then got exposure that way, and just kept participating in different beauty pageants throughout the years, and sought that type of life beyond going to school and graduating high school, and then again getting my nursing degree, and just um, that's how my life began. <laughs> so, were, so were your family were your family um, sort of uh, supportive of the the modelling and that sort of stuff? Yes, actually, um, my mother had been a model in her younger years, and um, a majority of my family are all military. So, I've lived all over the world um, because of that. Because my my either stepfather or father, we're always moving around. So. I traveled a great deal of my life. I never can seem that I can remember ever staying anywhere very long because of always being shipped to one base or the other. So I have that wide range of experience of living, living and learning different cultures. So would you say, would you say that you had a, a happy upbringing, or like a happy childhood? I would say I had a very different upbringing. It was hard to make friends. Growing up, because of being moved around so long, I, mean, I don't even remember staying on any base longer than three years. So it was, it was like once you just started to make a friend, I was uprooted again. And so it, it became quite difficult to be grounded anywhere. So I feel like I've always been on the move throughout yeah. my life. Yeah. So sadly, like many of the men and women that we speak with, Karen had suffered abuse as a child at the hands of her stepfather. Except in this case, once her mother found out, it ended immediately. Yes, I actually did. Um, I had a very abusive stepfather who is actually my youngest sister and my deceased brother's real father. Um, I'm the only child from my father. My mother had five of us and... The youngest two were real brother and sister. They had the same father. We all have the same mother, but different fathers except for them. And it was their father who was very physically abusive to us and was very sexually abusive to us. So was, is this the one that, who was in the army? That you could, well, That's why you kept moving around? No, he was actually a truck driver. It was the father after him. My mother was married like five or six times. Right. She really loved to be married. <laughs> okay. I'm just not going to lie to you. She did. She loved to be married. Did anything happen to that the, the man who um, abused you guys? Or did he just get away with it? He, nothing happened to him back then. Because you remember, this is back in the 60s, early 70s that this happened to me. So back then, it was just like, what happens in your house stays house type of thing. It's not like today where... You got uh, HRS and all of these big places that, you know, you can go to for abuse. Yeah. We, we didn't have that as as young children back then. I mean, basically, if you ever talked about it, it was it was made worse, to be honest. I just remember that we were yanked out of our house one night and, and taken to my grandmother's, who was my mother's mother, Dee Evans, and we were made to live there to get away from the abuse. 
because when my mom finally found out what was going on, she practically tried to chop his hand off with a knife, a kitchen knife. She literally almost cut his hand off. So we all were just yanked up out of our home, our environment, our school environment, and moved from, we were in Hialeah slash Hollywood area, and we moved up into the further part of Hollywood where my grandmother actually lived, which was actually just across town, but far enough away from him that he could not get to us anymore. After spending time modelling, winning beauty pageants and getting roles in a number of commercials, Karen had her sights set on bigger aspirations in the entertainment industry and goes off to work at Orlando Studios, which is where, she says, she got her first break into TV. Yes, it was Orlando. Because I, I began working at Universal Studios, I had a friend had told me that, you know, Karen, if you go work as um, a VIP tour guide or and ride and show that you would be able to get with a back lot. The back lot at back then, in that time, which would have been 1991, they had, they were always posting different movies or production, TV productions that were coming into Universal Studios that were being used to film there. So by being a part of Universal Studios employee, we got the first chance to sign up or to be picked, basically, for any show or movie that was going to be shot on their back lot. So I, I ended up working there as a volunteer, you know, volunteering at first, and then I got to be actual employee. And so I started picking up different things, and that is how I got on the show America's Funniest Videos. And America's Funniest People were being show, uh, um, shown there. They were being, the production was done there for a whole week. Now, I'll be honest, I had never seen a single second of America's funniest videos, or people for that matter. But for anyone like me who grew up in the 90s, it's exactly what you'd think. Everyday people at home with a handy cam capturing hilarious mishaps and mayhem in the hope of getting 15 seconds of fame and some money. That's right, kids. It's mum and dad's version of TikTok. Karen says she featured on a few of these episodes as guest appearances. After sitting through over two hours of archive footage of the show, I decided to take Karen's word for it. However, it's on the set that Karen says she becomes romantically involved with not only the show's producer, but in fact the man who came up with the whole concept for the show. Um, the producer, Ben Devona, he kind of took a liking to me and pulled me to the side and asked me, you know, if I was interested in doing another um, segment of his show. And, you know, I'd, I'd be in a different scene as far as in the audience because um, I had played like a walkthrough part in there. You know, we got to talking and everything. We found out we had a great deal in common. And he just, he took a more personal interest in me. And we just began going out to restaurants and things. And, Basically, while he was there, we basically just enjoyed each other's company. And then when he left to go back to California, he gave me his phone number and he got mine. And we just stayed in touch for over a year. And eventually he flew me to Boston. And that's where we connected up. He flew me out to Boston first class. And uh, we spent time together there. Now, I did, in fact, reach out to Mr. DeBona's office, in fact, his production company, to ask if he knew or remembers Karen Newell, and this is the response from his office. 
Dear Mr. Lawrence, good morning. I have asked Mr. DeBona if he knew or remembers Karen Newell, and he does not. Thank you. So he, he was a, a TV producer, was he? Right. He is the executive producer of that show. Right. And still is, as far as I'm uh, told. I mean, it's been, over, it's been on TV for over 25-some years, and his name, I believe, is still in the credits, as well as his wife was, who was Gina, her name was. And, uh, so was he? He wasn't married though when you guys were seeing each other. No, they weren't together when he and I met, or at least he led me to believe they weren't together. Right. Because me being in Florida and her being all the way in California, I have no way to know the truth either way. I know what you might be thinking. Well, she's probably making all this up. However, it's a very odd flex to say that you appeared on America's Funniest Home Videos and People and dated the producer of the show. Little did I know that that flex was going to take a dramatic uptick when Karen said this. Yeah. Just like with Sylvester Stallone, I mean, it was the same way. He, um, he, was, he had Jennifer Flavin, who he's now been married to for 25 years. I had no knowledge of her being on in California while he was messing around with me here in Florida while he was making the movie Oscar. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wait, did you, did you date Sylvester Stallone? I had a relationship with him, a sexual fling. I will not definitely lie. We definitely did. That's right. Karen Newell says that she did, in fact, have a fling with Sylvester Stallone. Now, before Karen explains how they met, I would like to point out that I have reached out to the Stallone camp, but more on that soon. From the, um, the movie Oscar was offered to me through my agency, 
which was Jess Anderson Modeling Agency out of Lakeland, and they are also out of Miami. And I was told by the actual people who run the company that my my um, portfolio sheet was actually chosen by Sly's people, so to speak, and that I was chosen to be in that particular film due to my features. And uh, I guess I had that look they were looking for. So the way that I met Sly was I was on set one day, and as I was going into the scene, I was to be a part of an extra as. Um, my nylon that was supposed to be hooked to my garter kept popping off. So in between scenes, I was trying to fix it, and I was rolling it back up and clipping it onto my thighs. And Sly came out of a side area, unbeknownst to me, he was coming up on my blind side, and he asked me if I needed help with that. And um, I turned around, and I was kind of like blown away, like, here's like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> He's like coming up behind me. He's like, so what do I say? I wasn't prepared for that. I was totally fabricated and uh, excited, I guess, in the same breath that here this superstar was asking me if I actually needed help. And we just began to banter back and forth in a comic sort of way. And um, after I did my walkthrough on the scene and he did his part of his scene running up the staircase in that particular scene, um, I went back to where the extras all have to be held at. Much like America's Funniest People, Oscar, I'll be honest, is not a film I've ever seen. So, of course, after Karen told me this, well, I had to watch it to try and see if I could indeed spot her. And I can tell you two things. One, it's definitely not one of my favourite Sly Stallone movies. And two, I unfortunately did not see the scene which Karen is referring to. This, of course, doesn't mean she wasn't in the movie. Plenty of takes from movies hit the cutting room floor and never make it to the big screen. Later in the afternoon, he sent his bodyguard to come over there, and he requested if I would like to join Sly for lunch in his trailer. And so I said, um, yes, no problem. <laughs> and so I was led by the, the bodyguard over to Sly's trailer, and I went into the trailer and met with him. And um, as I was coming in the trailer, he was on the phone to none other than Don Johnson. And as he was um, having his conversation with him, he tells Don, well, I have this beautiful woman in front of me. Maybe you'd like to say hi. So I'm like, again, floored, like, oh, my God, he's going to hand me the phone. <laughs> so I take the phone and I say hello to Don. And, you know, we say a few things. I told him how I admired his show and was a great fan of Miami Vice and that I actually had lived in Miami a good portion of my younger years and that I really enjoyed his work, and uh, it was really nice talking to him kind of briefly and handed the phone back to Sly, who was laughing because he just thought it was, you know, so funny that I was so tongue-tied. Mm. And after he finished the conversation, we ended up having lunch together, and then we were, you know, talking back and forth. His bodyguard ended up leaving, and we were left alone in the, the trailer. And, you know, we started having a few you know, drinks of uh, wine, I believe it was that day. And, you know, we just got comfortable with one another. And then we went out later that night to um, Pleasure Island, the, the one of the clubs there in Orlando, and kind of hooked up after the night's end. Um, he was staying at the Grand Floridian Hotel in Orlando there uh, on the Disney site, actually. It's on Disney's property. And uh, that's 
how I met him. So again, you could be thinking, well, she's making all this up. But what's piqued my interest is this oddly specific detail about Sly in his trailer on the phone to Don Johnson, of all people. Now, I'll be honest, I love Sly's movies, but I'm certainly no hardcore fan. So I don't know all the details and ins and outs about his life, but after doing some Googling, I did discover that Sly and Don have been very close friends for decades. Of course, again, not exactly proof that this is all true, but certainly interesting. So um, how long did you spend um, hanging out, shall we say? It was just while we were doing the movie, and um, I tried to keep in contact with him after that, and, you know, of course, he had gone back to Jennifer Flayland, who I now know was his girlfriend. I didn't know that at the time. But um, I doubt, I then found out later on that she was definitely his girlfriend on the West Coast. And uh, as we know now, he be- she became his wife of all these years. Mm. And, uh, but when I knew him, he, you know, he acted like he was free. And I wasn't the only one that he was pretty much uh, hanging out with, we'll call it. Because the mayor's daughter of Orlando was also on the set like two days later in he ended up taking her out as well. So he was pretty much being a player. I mean, I was in my 20s. These girls were definitely probably much younger than I was. And uh, he was, you know, playing the field. Hmm. I guess, you know, when the cat's away, the, the mouse will play or however that goes. He was he was being his, his Sylvester self, <laughs> as I like to think of him now. So um, did, you, did you find him to be a nice guy? Well, I found him to be... Very humorous. I mean, he definitely has a very comedic side. He's he's quite humorous, and he he has like a playful side to him that you don't normally get to see in anything that he does because it's always like a, a a fighter or he's Rambo or you know some type of war hero. So you you don't get to see that. But in the movie Oscar, you could get to see that. Yeah, you got to see that he has uh, a good comedic part of him. And then he seemed, from the conversation that we had in the trailer, that that was what he really wanted to pursue. And that John Landis was actually the director on that particular film. And he's pretty uh, popular for the movies he's done over the years. And he was like that John gave him the opportunity to do so. Mm. Matter of fact, on that particular set, John actually gave Sly a watch as a gift. So that is something else that's probably not known by too many, but he gave him a, a watch as, as, a, as a, like a parting gift for being on the set that day. Now, of course, I had to do my due diligence on this one and I decided to try and reach out to the Stallone camp and see if I could get any confirmation or denial from the man himself. Okay. So we're trying to find Sylvester Stallone here. Funnily enough, not the very first time in my career that I've ever tried to track down Mr Stallone. Didn't go very well the first time. Now, you might think tracking down an extremely famous person would be easy. Well, you'd be wrong. Cosmo Pictures. Let's call... This is an Australian... This has got an Australian office here. Well, they've got a number. Maybe I'll try calling this and see what happens. Rogers advises that the mobile number you have dialed has been disconnected. I mean, I could just message his Instagram. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. So after spending the better part of an afternoon searching for a way to get closer to Slice Stallone, I decided to call in a favour and contacted a buddy of mine who's a writer for Netflix. 
and he came through for me with an email address for someone in the Stallone camp. Uh, my name is Jack Lawrence, host of True Crime Show, blah, 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 covering a story about a lady, blah, blah, blah. She's mentioned she, she once had a relationship with Mr. Stallone. I'm not writing War and Peace here. Get to the point. All right, well, let's send that and see if anything happens there. And within 10 minutes, I had a reply that made me a little nervous. So I sent an email literally only like 10, 15 minutes ago. I just got a notification that I've got an email back. Oh, okay. I've been given the contact email address for Mr. Stallone's attorney. Right. I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm just asking a pretty simple question. Well, let's email Mr. Stallone's attorney. Now, as I'm recording this right now, I have yet to get a response from Mr. Stallone's attorney. But of course, as soon as we do, I will let you know. Before Karen would meet and marry the man she would later be accused of murdering, she would have two failed marriages. One that would in fact only last a month. Um, I was married to Bruce, who was a a sheriff's deputy out of um, Lakeland. And then after him, I was married. um, I don't even know if you could even call it a marriage because he was actually after me for the money that I had accumulated from all the modeling agencies. So it was annulled. His marriage was annulled, and his name was James. So I don't even consider that a marriage because we weren't even together but a month. And I found out he was stealing out of my checking and savings account, and I kicked him out of my house, got rid of him. I was, like, with Bruce maybe under a year and then with with uh, Jim for, uh, like, a month. But, I mean, we had dated for months, but we were only married a month. You said that... Um you know, your your mother was married a lot, many times because she loved the stability of marriage. Do you think that sort of passed down to yourself? Um, to be honest with you, Jack, I do believe that that's exactly what happened to me. And to the point, I'll be really super honest with you, is that that segment in my mind is that I thought when I married Bruce, it was forever. Yeah. And it ended up not being that way because his was um, the politics of being a sheriff's deputy played so much against him that it ruined our marriage because I just couldn't be a cop's wife. I I witnessed, um, unfortunately, his best friend who lived behind us, who was also a deputy, um, he got decapitated one night on on, uh, call. And it really affected me when we had to go to that funeral and all the cops that were there and just how, how just wow, that could happen to Bruce at any time. I could be, I mean, he could be going out to a call and, and that could happen to him or he could be shot. And I think it really traumatized to the point that I kind of withdrew, but I was trying to make sure that my kids had a father figure, but we stayed friends for, I mean, even up until like just last year. I mean, he used to come here all the time and see me just, you know, as friends, but I just, I couldn't stay married to him. It's mm. just I wasn't in that right frame of mind after that incident happened. And then to think that my mother married always just to provide for us to make sure that we had stability, I think I followed that same pattern. So, yes, I really do believe that was passed on to me. But I did do something that she didn't. I made sure both my kids were by the same father. 
I never had any other children but my son and daughter and never wanted any other kids but by the one man. So, How, how old were you when you had your kids? My daughter, I was 19 when I had Jamie. And then I was 21 when I had Michael. And that was with your first partner? It was with Michael, their father. He, um, we had been together eight and a half years. I actually knew him from my childhood. Right. Their father. So I never married him, but I knew him um, for a lot, a lot of years. And sadly, like with a lot of the cases that we discuss, there are innocent children who lost a mother. Children, she says, that she no longer has a relationship with and she has not in fact seen or spoken to them in many years. I actually do not. I don't speak to them at all, or I should say they don't with me, because they were, um, what do you call it, brainwashed by Michael's family to think that I abandoned them when I came here. They pretty much just um, kept them away from me so that I could never explain to them what really happened. You got to remember when I came here, they were like 8 and 10, so they were very young, and it was like, I guess it must have felt like abandonment because of the way that I was ripped out of their lives. They never got the chance to hear mommy's side of what really happened. They only heard his side, and all his side was he wanted the insurance money just like everybody else seemed to want from John's death. So he cut me off from my children. And to this day, they, I still pray and hope to, to know that there's two sides always to every story. So you haven't spoken to your children since you were arrested? I haven't spoken to them since I came to prison. I only saw them briefly when I first came to prison, and that was because my oldest sister, Deb, made sure I got to see them. But once Michael came and took them to Alabama, uh, um, I didn't get to see them anymore. They grew up in Alabama, so they weren't even here in Florida for my sisters to be able to try to bring them to me because... He made sure of it. He took him up into the Alabama mountains where his mother was running some type of grocery store and slash bar. So, no, I haven't seen them since then. Have you seen but any I photos or anything like that? Yes, I actually, I had a friend, my, well, actually my youngest sister and a friend of mine went on Facebook and found pictures of them. Matter of fact, my daughter would have just turned 38 years old. Wow. I actually wrote a, a poem for her about that. About her <laughs> about birthday. Her birthday. Yeah. Would you, you like to hear it? I or would do you love have to. time? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, it might make me a little uh, choked up. So That's okay. You just bear with me, sure. okay? When I first laid my eyes upon you, I knew you were my dream come true. You were a gift from above, a beautiful daughter for me to love. I watched as you began to grow and taught you things you needed to know. I never thought there would come a day when your mama would have to go away. I never meant to cause you shame. I made a mistake and I am to blame. I know it hurts that we're apart. Just keep me always in your heart. I realize that you might be mad. You need to know that mom's not sad and that I'll be coming home someday I know you may not understand, but I'm asking you to be real strong. Because on the day when I do come home, I promise you, my love, I will never roam. I'll try my best to never hurt you. If things go wrong, I'll never desert you. So please be patient as I know you can be, and I'll be back. Just you wait and see. I want to know about your days, what you eat, and where you play. Even though I can't be there, I would still like the chance to hear. Please don't feel that you are alone because I'll write and cards and call you on the phone. 
I pray to God each night to guide you while Mama cannot be there beside you. Trust in God, please have no fear. My love for you will never disappear. And even though we are not together, I want you to know that you'll be a part of me now and forever. I wrote that for her 16th birthday and I never got the chance to give it to her. You have one minute remaining. And that's where we'll leave it today. Coming up in our next episode, Karen meets her soon-to-be husband. And again, after a whirlwind romance, they would get married. But this wouldn't be the only man to appear in Karen's life, as, soon after, the man that would become her co-defendant in her husband's murder shows up. I had actually had put an ad in the paper for somebody to rent out one of the rooms in our house to help with the, with the mortgage payments. And so he came and he answered that ad. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.